Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Turn Off Your Guns, a song that was only ever released on first demo in 2014, is Chris Bonner, a fan and musician from Leeds, England. Chris, how are you? Hi, and thanks very much. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I've um, bit of a getting over a bit of a cold. It's, it's just turned really cold with this uh, storm I win. But um, yeah, I'm all right. How are you? I yeah, getting over a cold here too. But that's less to do with the weather and more to do with uh, having a two year old who goes to daycare and brings home all kinds of stuff. Right. You know? Oh, that's kind. Of share everything. Yeah. <laughs> Before we started uh, recording, you were telling me that you live on a boat. Please tell me about that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's right. I've I've lived lived on a boat with my family. Well, just me and my wife now for like nineteen years. And um, the boat that we're living in now is like a, it's a nineteen forty six uh, ex coal barge. So you know, you got us to thank for climate change. She used to carry seventy five tons of coal every day when she was a working boat, and um, and we bought her when she was like uh, a burnt out shell. She'd stopped working for over a decade, and. Um, so we've kind of done her out and uh yeah and the thing is living on a boat i mean she's 14 foot wide so she's quite a, a you know a, a sizable you know she's quite steady most of the time but when you get like 50 mile an hour winds that's when you sort of remember that you live on a boat um and so that's why i've come to my daughter's house because she's got a nice house <laughs> but yeah so living on a boat kind of puts you in um, you know, it reminds you that, you know, we've got impending climate Armageddon possibly. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, is I this just the, knew it would be really noisy. Is this the kind of boat you can uh, uh, pull up anchor and take for a little spin or is it sort of permanently docked? Yeah. I mean, it's it's harder than some boats to take for a spin, but um, yeah, yeah, we, we do take her out. We, we haven't, because I was kind of studying through lockdown and so I was busy with that. Um, so we didn't take her out during lockdown but um normally we would have taken her out in the you know in the, in the warmer months we'd have just you don't have to go far out the city we live our mooring is in the, the city center of leeds which is um yeah it's like it used to be industrial but now it's kind of gentrified like a lot of uh, city centers and um so like yeah we like to get away from the flats and just like experience a bit of nature in the when we can and yeah, so we do take her out. We've taken her to Nottingham and Castle, Castleford. We call Cas Vegas or Ponte Carlo. And uh, yeah, it's it's a different way of life, I guess. And it's not for everyone. And but we we really enjoy it. We we like the freedom of it. And you know, the uh, sounds lovely. I wouldn't mind uh, living on a boat at least for uh, at least for a couple of years, maybe. It sounds like a nice uh, yeah. change of pace. Yeah, I mean the thing is, like, there's a lot of young people buying boats and living on boats because there's a housing crisis, you know, and, and, and property is so expensive. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing in the states, it's probably, you know, progressively harder and harder for young people. If it's anything like the UK, anyway, you yeah. know, deposits and mortgages are difficult things to, you know, get onto the property ladder, and there's. Uh, there's also the after effects from the Grenfell cladding, you know, that's that's affected a lot of the flats in town in Leeds where I live in because of Grenfell, they've had to change all the cladding and that's caused a lot of extra expense and yeah, um 
anyway, that's a side story. But yeah, I guess boat, there's a lot of people. There's 25,000 people live on boats in the UK, 15,000 in London. And um, there's more boats now on the waterways than there was when at the height of the Industrial Revolution. You know, so anyway. No way. Um, Fun fact. Cool. Well, my other question that I had off the bat is, of course, uh, Chris, if you could tell me a little about your relationship with Fugazi. Do you remember when you first got into them? Yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago. I'm, I was born in 1975, so, like, I'm an old, kind of, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an old Fugazi fan. Um, I'd, I'd say, like, you know, they're my favourite band. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. You know, they've become kind of, um, you know, uh, part of my identity, I guess, is being a Fugazi fan. And uh, I can remember when I, I, I will have got, I'm trying to put the dates to the records, like a lot of your podcast guests, um, compilation tapes was a big thing uh, in the early 90s. You know, and um, I guess when I was like 16 or 17, that's when I started to get hold. And there was a bit of a lag because it wasn't like the internet, like <laughs> like a lot of your guests have said. You know, so you didn't get instant, um, you know, uh, updates on everything. And I, I will have got steady diet though by like 91 I would have got everything up to steady diet by the time I was like sort of 16 17 I, w- I reckon and uh they was on a compilation tape with other bands like Snuff Leatherface uh, Mega City 4 Lungfish maybe and it was it was a tape with like scribbles on it I can remember and it was played in this house that I'd like like a block away from me that would have like the cool kids used to hang and listen to punk bands and yeah, um, I can like Margin Walker blew me away. I can just remember the harmonics, the, the the intro in Margin Walker. That is such a, you know, that was like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> what are they doing? What what is that? <laughs> and uh, and and the harmonics aspect of of Fugazi's has really influenced me um, musically, I guess. But um, yeah, and just over the years, I guess you just grow, you know, and and learn more about them. And like when I was a kid, I didn't really get the full gist of lyrics and generally, let alone Fugazi lyrics. And because I grew up in Grimsby, which is like a, an East Coast, like East Coast has got a different <laughs> definition <laughs> on, on the River Humber to like, sure. it's like a fishing fishing town. And uh, you know, it was like Hull and Ghoul and Grimsby and Cleethorpes. These are all kind of like, yeah non kind of metropolitan places but um yeah grimsby sounds like a uh, some kind of dour character from a charles dickens book or something mr grimsby yeah yeah mr grimsby there was a film made about grimsby i like sasha baron made and it wasn't filmed in grimsby and nothing to do with pretty grimsby to be honest but um yeah um it's not like yeah the the immediate place you think of as, as a cultural hub of the uk it's uh but you know Leeds is, I guess, like the the nearest pl- kind of city to where a lot of people gravitate to. And um, I don't know, yeah. So Fugazi, when I was listening to songs like Suggestion or anything, you know, like I didn't really get. I don't know. Maybe I just want that clever. Maybe I'm <laughs> I'm not as clever as, as some sixteen, seventeen year olds. But um, yeah, I, I guess the the quality of the song 
songs of Svagazi, you know, they, they, they mean different things to you. But the, but I just think there's something about the sound and the fact that you, you, you learn more about the backstory as well and obviously, you know, all the the benchmarks, if you like, of the Celt that, that they set in terms of, you know, their their integrity. And, that, and I think that reflects in the music somehow. And I think it made a massive impression. I can remember, like, having photocopies of the lyrics up in my living room so I could sing along. And the first time I saw them was in 1995. My, so my daughter, I, I was a father really young, so I've got a, a son and a daughter. And my daughter was three months old when I first saw Fugazi in Leeds. 1995 and that was the 15th of May um, and they blew me away and you know because I've not been to that many gigs to be honest and um, and at that point I think I'd just joined a band so I'll have been 1995 I'll have been 20 years old um, when I first saw Fugazi and I can remember seeing waiting for them after the gig just to catch a word with them and and I knew all the songs and like Ian said and I can remember like Ian walking up back across the the, the 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 venue and him saying to me i saw you singing along it really <laughs> it really means a lot to us when when we when that happens and so thank you and, and he thanked me oh, for coming great. and for knowing the songs and that laid made a big impression on me and just in terms of like respecting your fans as a musician because like yeah just the way he did it you know it was just like the way he, and, and that that totally makes sense with the fact that Fugazi did keep an eye on the crowd and 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 see who was doing what, who was singing along, who was causing trouble, maybe, but who was because uh, you know, uh, but who was who was enjoying the the, the music as well, and um, and 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 it, it was such a profound experience, really, um, and I think that yeah, just listening to them and getting to know the songs, and I think they did definitely have a positive effect on my outlook, my worldview, you know, because. You know, like most kids that age, you know, you you have a few kind of doubts and a few sort of, you, you're suspicious of government in a way, but you haven't got much of a language or a, maybe a means of like exploring your suspicions of, of, th of the things being, you know, that you're being lied to or maybe the constructs in society. Um, you know, not that I'd use the word construct when I was 16, but, you know, like... <sighs> what it means to be a person in the world in, in a capitalist consumerist society and again I wouldn't have used those words when I was 16 yeah. but but having Fugazi it kind of like because I wasn't religious it was like a spiritual I, I think there's definitely like a guiding kind of thing with Fugazi and and I'm, you know lots of your guests have, have commented on this um, this aspect of their work so yeah I'd, yeah, they they were massive for me, and 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 I, I got into bands. I've always been in bands, and um, like I've not been a professional. <laughs> like I've not been able to leave my my uh, my day job, if you like. I've had lots of kind of. Uh, I, I drive a water taxi. That's what I do for for um, my my day job at the moment, um, which I've done for for years. And but when when I was around that time when I first saw them I, I was I play, I started playing bass for a local band called Chopper and uh, they were like a fast punk band and all the bands that I'd listened to on that scribbly tape back in Grimsby <laughs> you know this is the beauty of DIY 
DIY punk. I, you know, I, I loved those bands, and I ended up playing with most of them. You know, like, and and to maybe to a lot of people they might not have heard of them, but to me they were like really important. And the fact that I played with like my peers and and including for guys that, like four years later, because like I say, like I was pretty vocal i'd wear the bootleg fugazi t-shirts um i've got a picture of me when my daughter was born i had like a, a bootleg repeater t-shirt and um and the, the local promoter when pylon came in 1999 to the same venue 29th of april that was um they asked my band um to support and and that was just like amazing i mean i, I was lucky enough we over the years we played in we went to Japan a couple of times. We played in Europe, and you know we've played all over the UK. But that that gig for me with Pat, I mean, you shouldn't really think about. I can remember the sing, like the singer in the band saying, "Look, you know, it's great we're supporting, you know, but we should think about us and, and who, who we are." But like, nevertheless, like playing with Fagazi, that's just like wow, that's yeah. such, such, such a you know, I, I I was just on cloud nine, <laughs> like, and. Um, and I interviewed them after, and I was only 24, and maybe I didn't know as much about them because you know over decades, like this is 30 years ago nearly, you know. <laughs> and uh, I've I've developed my understanding, and thanks to your podcast as well, you know, I've I've really sort of deepened my understanding of of the nuances of the band and the legacy. But like, I wish I'd have had some better questions when I was 24, but I, I did my best, and I was I was dead enthusiastic, um, but like. I actually, when I when I, like I mentioned, I've, I went returned to college uh, over lockdown, and uh, I interviewed Ian for a journalism module because I, I studied music for three years. It's the only qualification I've ever got. And I, I kind of just made the decision to go back, and um, my final year was was when the the big lockdown was on, and yeah, and I ended up. Ian, interviewing Ian over Zoom, and he and he gladly gave me nearly two hours of, of his time, and got to answer him a few more like sensible questions, and uh, and that was amazing as well. And um, yeah, and, and I actually played with the Evens at some point. I can't remember what year it was, but um, when they came to Leeds after, um, yeah, he wanted a magician to support the band, and it just so happened I kind of knew a few tricks from somewhere I'd worked. <laughs> one of the bosses was in the magic circle and I, I was one of those people like, how did you do that? And he, and he taught me a few tricks. And and so I, I used to do tricks like in between, you know, when I was waiting backstage and and then, you know, word got around. I got, you know, I, I wasn't like a professional magici magician at all, but I was like a, the only one that the promoter knew who <laughs> could do a few <laughs> tricks. And, oh, and you're a Fugazi fan as well, aren't you? So, yeah. Um, so I got that gig as well, and that was a real weird kind of experience, <laughs> but um, but that brilliant, amazing, you know. Yeah. And, Man, yeah. I I really buried the lead on this one, you know. I I when you put it all together up front like that, like my guest today drives a water taxi, lives on a boat, was a performing magician, and <laughs> opened for Fugazi <laughs> in a punk band. Uh, you've you've got a pretty amazing uh, life resume here. I guess I, 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 you know, to me, it's just. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny how over the course of your life, like these experiences become cobbled together, and it's like, yeah, looking back on things, kind of impressive. Yeah, and and uh, do, you, do you know what? And I, and I've got to like 
give some credit to Fugazi for that. For, you know, because like they explored weird and wonderful ways of doing things, and you know, and 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 confidently went about it. And you know, the the, the deeds spoke louder than anything that you know. Actions speak louder than words, and and they totally just walked the walk with, yeah. you know, integrity, and and that is a a real kind of inspiration to to young people, to old people, to uh, to anyone. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll have to doff my cap to them for maybe for a little bit of that. Absolutely, credit. Well, that's amazing. Uh, r- really cool intersections with uh, those guys in your life so far. Um, and, and that's, yeah, so great that Ian has given his time to so many sort of like media outlets, if you can even call them that and like not even media outlets, but just just sort of, you know, random people who are doing some kind of interesting project who want to interview him. He's, he's been so generous with his time in that way, which is really cool. Um, well, speaking of being inspired by some of Fugazi's words, I, I think this is a song that might resonate with some people that way that we're talking about today. Uh, so Turn Off Your Guns is uh, it's a really, really early Fugazi song. And, you know, delving back into their history, it's it was played at their first ever show. And it seems that uh, they played it live 15 times. And the last time they ever played it was uh, in, in your country of England, in Wigan, I believe it's pronounced. December 1st, yeah. 1988. And uh, that's that's sort of like, you know, that was their they, their European tour and they, they sort of uh, played stuff up to then. And then at the end of that year, they did those Margin Walker sessions with uh, John Loder at Southern Studios. Uh, and I guess, you know, it, there are a couple of songs that just sort of dropped out of the rotation after that, this being one of them. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those very early songs and people who uh, download sets from the Fugazi live series can listen to it played there and otherwise the only other place you can hear it is in their um their first demo uh compilation that was released in 2014 um that's sort of demo that that was recorded early 1988 January I believe and uh so yeah that's the recording we're mainly going to be talking about today yeah I saw that that it was you know like a little hidden hidden track almost and it makes you wonder why you know i, I mean i guess like um it, like you say it could have just been just fell off the rotation of what they were interested maybe they had another song that was maybe akin similar to the um elements of it and they didn't want to replicate i don't know yeah It'd be interesting to find why it was kind of dropped off the last episode that i recorded was for the song the word which is which can also be found on that first demo um, and I, I do think of these two songs as a little bit partners to each other, um, mm. at least thematically, right? Uh, in uh, in the word, Ian MacKay is basically singing about what to do if your life sucks, i.e. change. And in Turn Off Your yeah. Guns, he's singing about what not to do if your life sucks, i.e. kill yourself. So I just just based on that, um, I feel like, uh, yeah, the, the, the songs remind me of each other. Um, and uh, of course, it is probably pretty obvious from the lyrics uh, that that is what the song is about. By the way, but also uh, for people who listen to their uh, the recording of their first ever show, he says uh, before they play this, 
The next song is about life and how much it's worth living, and if you're consciously considering suicide, don't bother. Nothing in life could be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, a kind of, yeah, like, I've got to say, and, um, like, out of all the, all the Fugazi songs I've ever listened to, I've never kind of thought, hmm, there's something that bothers me about the tone of that. <laughs> Do you know, I mean, I think, it, you know, uh, ostensibly it comes from, you know, it's not, you know, you could, you could say that message, life is great, and, you know, pl- don't kill yourself. But it kind of comes across a little bit, especially with that intro. I mean, yeah, I listened to that first gig, because it was the first ever gig, wasn't it? But, you know, if you're thinking about killing yourself, don't bother. I mean, you know, it's such a delicate nuanced thing and it just comes across a little bit to me kind of you know like a government health warning on a cigarette packet (laughs) (laughs) do you know it's like cancer kills quit smoking that's you know um what you're thinking you know and i don't know like my my wife is a is a trained like counselor and I don't know, and, I, and, I, and I've sent this song to a couple of people, and yeah, do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? Do, do, in that, in, just in that, the, the tone of the song just feels a little bit. Well, you know, and when you go through the lyrics, if you hate life so much, what are you living for? While, while we're still paying, you know, you know, we're still paying. It's kind of like it's a little bit scolding and a little bit. You know, you hurt everybody else. It's it's not com- just the tone. I, I just feel, you know, I mean, everyone, you know, it's a punk band. You should write what you want to write a song about. But um, it, it appears to come from like a place of frustration and less, you know, like the thing is so many people, you know, suicide is such a delicate issue. And it's, and, and the, the thing that don't cut your skin no more is like self-harm and suicide sometimes overlap but you know they're they're not necessarily one leads to another that's a bit of a myth Mm -hmm. um and not that i'm saying that that's what he's implying but it's kind of in there um and what people need (laughs) is a good listening to when when it comes to feeling suicidal you know and this this kind of tone is like just you know you're hurting everyone when you're doing this. Just, just quit. Yeah. You know? And 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 it needs. I think there's the conversation is. It feels like it's moved on from this. And I, and I know Ian says he always stands by his lyrics. Um, and like I say, one reading, and and maybe there's people that got stuff from this, but at the same time, you know, there's something a little bit kind of, yeah. Yeah, I I know what you mean. It's. <laughs> It's interesting when you consider tackling this topic to write a song about. I yeah, there there are a few different rhetorical strategies you could employ, and yeah, you're you're right. Of course, this is a little bit of a confrontational one. Um, there's uh, it doesn't really take the the tack of empathizing um, as Ian MacKay did yeah. in some of his other early songs. Um, it's it's really more, I guess trying to get the listener to consider the the other side try well basically trying to get the listener to empathize with everybody else in their lives 
that they would be affecting, right? So it's it's definitely a different way of, of going about it. And it's, of course, he makes fair points. Um, yeah, you never hurt yourself. You hurt everybody else. Like, what a burden to put on people uh, who mm. love you in your life uh, to kill yourself. But whether that is the most effective strategy for mm. uh, <laughs> preventing this is somebody it. from killing themselves, I, I don't know. That's not really my area no. of expertise, but maybe not. No, the, no, the research does kind of bore out that, that people who feel suicidal or you know feel like a massive burden, and that's one of the reasons why they're, they're, you know they're, they're contemplating what, thinking about doing what what they're doing, you know. And I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for the US, but in the UK, there's a massive mental health crisis in terms of like access to to services, you know. Um, CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, is pretty much all that's available which is you know works for certain people for certain problems but um like person-centered counseling um which is something that was developed by carl rogers which is more about and and which incidentally i would align with fagazi's philosophy which because person-centered counseling is very much about putting the person in control so not referring to them as a client you know it's about equalizing democratizing power and like i did a 10-week course in counseling like about 10 years ago actually and it's a mind-blowing thing I, I wish it was taught at school i wish like instead of you know if they if they played kids a fagazi song and some um you know some person-centered counseling um techniques but just just listen and Basically, you know, you, you would have thought, oh, what's what's a counselling about? And, and some people might say, well, it's giving advice, but it's the exact opposite. It's like helping people talk and find their own solutions. And that's a kind of punk when you think about it. Um, and and I, I can remember when we were studying person-centred, it was like, all oh, right, yeah, now there's a lot of links with with Fugazi, with anarchism, basically, <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of grassroots activist um, modus operandi kind of crosses over with with counseling techniques um in a weird way and to 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 allow someone to help you find your own solutions you need to like develop a bit of trust and a bit of especially just love love and so un, un, unconditional positive regard which is something you know like when ian's been dealing with aggressive people you know he'll refer to them as sir yes, and like he'll always be polite and and like i've got to i've got to really caveat this by saying you know in terms of mental health like all of the beautiful things like i, I was looking at carney clear I, I don't know I, I think have you had carney on the podcast i think you, i haven't you um, did the visual yeah i visualizing the history i i was in touch with him over email uh, way in the beginning and i got some right. valuable data from him i asked him if he wanted to be on the show and i never heard back but um yeah if, if he somehow right. <laughs> gets in touch with me in the, in the next couple of weeks he might have a chance still because he's you know i'm just looking at his um beautiful demographic website i'd, I'd encourage anyone who's not seen it to, to check it out um but you know when you look at the local activism and fundraising and let, let alone all the, the awareness they raised through the, the 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 lyrics of some of the the songs that you think of you know suggestion and you know um gentrification and all these issues but just the dollars i mean all right maybe some big bands have raised more money for for 
charitable and, and grass... Well, this is the thing. These are grassroots, and, and I just think for each dollar that they raised, there's kind of more... There was a lot more attached to that because it was such a, a community-based thing going on. Like, all the shows, you know, um, were, you know... Uh, benefits, as I believe, in, in in Washington, and all of, you know, and this this is the other part about how you view dealing with someone who, who's suicidal. Because if you just take it from an individual perspective, it's like you've got to sort your head out, mate. Give your head a shake, <laughs> get a grip, sort of thing. Then that's just giving it an individual right. It's up to this individual to sort themselves out, get help. But when you think about it, you know, mental health is a societal thing that is. <laughs> You know, and different countries have different, um, you know, structures in place. And, and, a, and a capitalist consumer society tends to, you know, be difficult to live with mentally because of the the constructs and the, and the rules that we've, we've kind of, you know, let ourselves kind of be a part of, whether we like it or not, you know. And the, the, the way that they helped with these things you know i would say you know their actions speak louder than the words They're definitely you know the, with with this song um i'm i'm, I'm not making much sense here i'm, I'm looking at <laughs> all, the, all the causes they've supported but do, do you know what i'm saying like environmentally yeah the, you know if you if you're working in a crap job that you don't like and you've got no support and you, you're suffering isolation these are these are things that are gonna, and, and obviously the pandemic has, has has thrown you know, and 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 it's it's more accepted to talk about mental health issues, but uh, there's still a real massive gap in the services that are available, and 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 if you've not got much income, you, and and you're more likely to be suffering from one of these issues if you're not a straight white male. You know, as well, there's there's that privilege issue there, which, um, so, I don't know. I, I it feels weird for me because it's d- difficult for me to sort of like, cr- you know, critique, um, a a song, you know, a band that I've, you know, up until you sh- you, you you sort of asked me to do this song, it's like, well, there's no Fugazi lyrics that I could ever have a problem, but this one. It's just kind of, it's just something about the tone of it. Just the look, I mean, the music is, you know, it's, 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 it's great. Uh, like, you've got some exquisite drum rolls from Brendan. The, the, the bass cuts through on this beautiful, like, woody bass sound. And it's like, although, you know, when you hear that riff come in, it's like, you know, there's like a metal kind of rockiness to it. But the, when the bass comes in, it's like, gives it that Fugazi kind of bluesy pentatonic feel. And, it stops it from sounding too kind of eighties metal. Um, I was I, I was actually you, got, you know listening on. to this. Uh, one of the funny things is, for the most part, I like almost every sound that comes out of uh, Joe Lally's amp in the course of what he did with Fugazi. But man, I I feel like the bass tone on this is just annoying to me. <laughs> like really like more so than than anything else i've heard it's just just very it's a very oh. stingray bass tone it's it's sort of like gets on my nerves actually really i i love that woodiness i've got to say i really kind of i i kind of love that that bass sound um someone on the internet did a, a bass cover of this and it's it's interesting um because it kind of 
it's got a similar thing going on to the guitar after the first eight bars and then it goes into like a slightly different you know they, they do that thing a lot on this on the, on the, the, the in their early songs where the guitar and the bass are all kind of locked in onto the same riff yeah um yeah it starts out yeah it starts out well it's just two guitars which i guess is just ian tracked twice uh playing that riff the drums come in for eight bars then the bass comes in with like a different line but um uh, but yeah, the, and then they sort of like fall into all playing the same riff in unison. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a sort of pattern that they might have gone with pretty often in the early days. Yeah, and and there's there's a beautiful kind of cacophony of drum fills that all uh, towards the end where where because because one of the nice lines is that is that is that like one of the th- and one of the aspects of the the musicality is that the way they kind of um have the the stops in the chorus and towards the end after the first chorus there's nothing in there but then on the second time the chorus comes in the, he, he sings this kind of nice descending melody that uh this is not the end of you which is a nice you know that and it's is a nice line yeah um and that kind of that kind of sounds a bit kind of more warm and and nice. If you if you took that line, then <laughs> that but it's just uh, lyrically the other lines that, that kind of yeah, just just tone wise. But anyway, back with the music, it's like um, yeah, the, the 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 bass does this slide and the, the the drums are doing these amazing. You know, Brendan's just going on. It sounds like he's got four arms hitting those toms. And and it, they're just so precise and tight, you know. And when you see him playing this, it's, it's like this, you know. The, you've got that trademark like palm muted staccato thing going on, which was really influential. And and like Pete Fraser mentioned in the Joe Number One episode, the way that they'd use the stops in the chorus. I mean, it's not as long a stop as as some others like Smallpox Champion or. Um, you know some of the other songs where there's big, big long stops, but it's it's enough to just have a glance at the audience and remind them that they're part of this. And um, did you notice, yeah. by the way, that during those pauses, if you like, if you turn up the music and listen pretty carefully, there's some kind of vocal in the background, like way in the background. Yeah, you definitely can't make yeah. out what's being said, but it's like, yeah, there's some reverb on it and. It's it's uh, I I am almost certain it's Ian MacKay saying something, but yeah. don't know what. Uh, well, I watched a few live versions of this, and I th- and I th- and I, th- I from what I can't remember which show it was, um, but there's a few there's a, there's a I think it might have been the Wigan one actually that you mentioned earlier because um, it's the last song before the the video cut short. Um, but it's just like this, this quite a nice, like descending melody. The, the, this is not the end of you, and, and it's not as loud on the the demo version. But when they sing it, like yeah, so that, that's what I believe that he's singing there. This is this is not the end of you. Yeah. Um, as it and it just goes down, and it's, oh, that's and it's got that kind of monastic tone to it, like what a lot of Ian MacKay's melodies. You know, they've got that beautiful kind of just a cut, like simple, almost. Um, religious kind of uh, tone. That I, I love. I, I like that melody, and I like those words. You know, it's it's tough to say that you can that a song can take on the role of a counselor or whatever. Um, and and it, it was obviously there's some frustration there, but I just in the scheme of things, you know, 
like so many of the lyrics were helpful. I just don't think this is kind of almost stigmatizing, and, I, and it pains me to say that, but that's the that's kind of what I'm I'm feeling. I definitely agree to an extent. It's a subject that is pretty like meaningful to me personally. Um, I I've actually written an anti-suicide song myself with my band. Uh, I thought I thought it was pretty decent. Like it, I think it was mainly based on feeling like um y- you know being a teenager that was kind of depressed and and not being like I never self-harmed or anything but I I I s- certainly had some urges <laughs> uh in that direction and just based on the feeling of growing up and given all the great experiences I've had in life and and thinking back to it and being like man it would have been so monumentally stupid to kill myself when I was a teenager and miss out on on everything um, that's been so great in life. I don't know if you've heard about it in England, but uh, uh, Dan Savage's "It Gets Better" project it really resonated no, with me. He's a uh, like this is a thing that was act- really actually uh, aimed at uh, LGBT youth who are you know especially right. who are being bullied or just um, just feel that there's no place for them and. It, okay. it sort of enlisted a lot of people to talk about how, you know, just if you just tough it out, things really do get better and you'll have just these wonderful experiences. And uh, uh, but but, you know, even not being a, a LGBT, I really thought that was great. And I thought that was a great rhetorical angle to take and something that could be very effective to kids. And uh, so I uh, although yeah. having said that. There is part of me that feels like it's it's very hard to bring reason into it at all because I think someone in that headspace mm. to some extent is ju- like just doesn't y- your head's not in the right place and uh, you know p- probably therapy is really the best thing. Yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. But the, the the trouble is, it's so difficult for people to. I, I mean. I'm guessing it's pretty difficult to access therapy in the States unless you pay for it, right? You, you just don't yeah. get it without paying. And so many people can't pay, you know. And, and, and even on the – we've got the NHS in the UK, although it's been steadily privatised. Um, the the waiting lists are just – you know, you, you're talking months. So, like, whichever way – like, I've, I've found some solace myself, you know um, – in, in listening to podcasts, there's a great uh, Irish podcaster called Blind Boy, who one of your guests has mentioned previously in the context of um, having to cancel COVID shows. Um, and yeah, he's done some great mental health podcasts that people have, you know, taken. And, and, and it's no but, uh, substitute for a decent, you know, qualified counsellor, but it's just simply difficult and expensive and you know a long t- in, a, in a long waiting list and, and i mean i i was lucky enough to access counseling whilst at uni but again that's a privileged position to be in and you know i'm 30k in debt because of you know uh so like young people don't as readily sign up for higher education because of the loan industry you know it, it's it's big like so many things it's become progressively difficult for young people. So, like, when you think about free education, social housing, access to health, all these things, 
have become dif- more difficult. And, and this is why the picture of mental health crisis, you know. And back then, you know, not many people were talking about mental health back then. Yeah. So a lot, you know, the, the conversation has moved on massively. But the crisis is there. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's important, like like you were saying, with that organisation, you know, tra- apparently I was just reading today, trans people, are, you know, people, it's like you're 40%, I think it was 40% more likely to have suicidal thoughts uh, as trans. So I can see, you know, <laughs> there is so much work to be done. Right. And and for Gazi, like like I was saying, their, their actions, well, they were so ahead of the, bo- the curve in so many ways on like literally pretty much all, all those things that are listed there, you know, health, education, housing, you know, when you look at, I'm just, I've got this, the kind of clears thing up in front of me and they were out there and they was promoting these things. And like the, you know, and, and w- when you look at the subjects, not just the fact, you know, they want just some like big NGO corporate kind of uh, way of dealing with it. It was like grassroots and they're the most effective, like people in the local groups and so that it was incredibly potent their positive the well, positive force you know with mark anderson you've had him on on the podcast and uh you know the, he was so inspirational and and singing the praises of the way that fugazi worked with positive force and all the the good that they did so like they have done so much to help mental health issues indirectly um yeah well but, i i was gonna yeah. say when I was when I was younger and I was a huge Fugazi fan, I feel like their music helped me a lot. Um, but this mm. song wasn't part of that. I hadn't heard this song until yeah. you know after 2014 when it when that first demo was released. So uh, that wasn't really part of it at all. But I, I feel like they helped me anyway, simply through you know the the I guess the passion that was apparent in their music the the, the yeah. channeling channeling feelings of discontent and frustration into positive mm. action and um being being dedicated to to certain ideas and and fighting for them um and so yeah. you you don't even need a song that's explicitly anti-suicide necessarily to no. uh to help uh kids who are feeling that way yeah this this is it i mean i think a burning too you know when you, you know when you think of the existential angst that so many of us, me included, are, are, are feeling around the, the the effects of climate change, um, you know, like when I think of Burning Two, like that was written all that time ago, you know, the the we've got to we've got to sort this out right now, you know. There's a sense of urgency, that and a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose, and that was yeah, like you say, so like just soul warming <laughs> you know to to think well yeah things are fucked up <laughs> but this let's let's get on with fixing it let's get on with like doing whatever we can making the right call yeah and that that sounds a bit kind of you know right on but let's let's face it you know that's ultimately we, we all want to make the right call make the right shot yeah I'd like to dive into something like sort of very specific, having talked about the song in very broad strokes, which is in the. Yep. There are a couple of things that intrigue me in the first couple of lines here. Actually, the title of the song, "Turn Off Your Guns," 
I I always see that as kind of problematic, like just from a the way it's phrased, because you know I'm not I'm not a gun guy, even though I live here in the United States of America. Uh, I I don't mm. own guns. I'm not really into that, but I'm pretty confident that you you would you would never say turn off a gun. <laughs> uh, you would yeah. I googled the, the the expression. It didn't come up with anything. Yeah. I mean, you'd turn yeah. off. You could turn off a safety. But that is that's sort of the opposite of what Ian's saying here. Um, right. So it, it's yeah. almost as if I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like some sort of clever turn of phrase that he's like purposely mm. playing with the words. But if so, I'm not sure what what mm. the point is exactly, or if he's like somehow just gotten the, his terminology wrong with, with how people talk about guns. So <laughs> that that always has well, me scratching my head. The title of the song. Yeah, I know you mean. I like. I mean, I wondered if it maybe was a metaphor for destruct self, you know, destructive behavior, or destructive thoughts, you know, like nihilistic kind of, you know, um, guns being a metaphor for, you know, thinking about, you know, you know, just like negative thought patterns. I, I guess I don't know whether that was a thing. I mean, it's difficult because obviously in the UK, guns aren't as prevalent, and and in the conversation around mental health, I've I've, I've kind of you know just just in researching for this i'll see that you know like one of the safeguarding things they'll do a professional would do is like see if the if the person has got access to guns because right. i think it's 51 percent of suicides in the states involve a gun or involve a firearm so like access to guns is a, obviously you know a bigger issue where you are um yeah certainly that's not to that's not to say that you know it doesn't happen in this country. I don't know what the figures are for the UK, but I'm 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 sure I'm guessing it's <laughs> a lot lower. Um, so yeah, gun is has got a different kind of yeah uh, loaded meaning than than what it what it does for you. Um, Something else rather specific is the in the line "Don't cut your skin no more." What caught my attention is the no more part it's it's like very purposely anti-grammatical which is is just not something yeah. that i feel like ian mckay does a lot in his lyrics like it, it, right he yeah i feel like he doesn't go in for that sort of like slangy anti-grammar sort of thing very much it just stands out a little bit to me yeah don't cut your skin no more yeah i guess i, I can't think of off the top of my head another song where he says something that that strikes the ear in that same way no, I never noticed that, but now you've said it, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Just uh, I don't, I don't think there's a larger point to attach there. Just something that made my uh, made my ears perk up yeah. and go, hmm, that's that's a little bit of an outlier. Something else, you know, to go back to the music for a second. The uh, you know we were we were talking earlier about similarities to some of the early demos, and mm -hmm. I think the end of the song reminds me a little bit of In Defense of Humans. You know the way that song suddenly turns to a much lighter mood at the end, just a, a lighter sounding right. musicality. I, I feel like Turn Off Your Guns sort of does the same thing at the point where, you know, Joe's playing the bass line. Boom, dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like an E and a B. It's kind of an unusual to hear those two notes played because they're kind of syncopated a little bit, like just off off the beat a bit. And it, right. But you're right, it just kind of lightens the the tone of the yeah so i wonder if that's the sort of thing that plays a role in why some songs 
ended up being cut from uh, the, the records and the live sets too. Maybe they just felt like this is not the feel that Fugazi is that Fugazi songs have. It, it's we've sort of evolved away from that, and and that's just one aspect of that that kind of music that they felt that they were not making so much anymore. Yeah, it's a, it was early days, wasn't it? And they were finding their feet, I guess, and, and deciding what worked for them as a band. And, yeah. and like, Gee, Gee didn't feature much. You know, he, he was kind of, like, finding his place, wasn't he, at this point in uh, the demo yeah, and stage. If, and I think they were so much stronger when Gee was, like, on board with, like, a decent whack of the, the, the songs, you know, because um, he only had one on the demo album, that you know, just a break-in. Um, so he was, like sort of like in his backing vocals on a lot of the songs it's just kind of like repeating a lot you know like doubling the words whereas like they've really started to shine when he'd sort of you know like just add his own flavor right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know i never said flavor flavor but you know just like his own kind of personality you could you could feel his own style developing and if you listen to later outings of when they played this song live, he was taking a much more active role in basically singing in unison with Ian throughout the whole song. Uh, so I guess right. yeah, I guess they were feeling like that was definitely adding something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's, I mean, it's so good to, see, to watch them play anything like. There's such a you know, and especially when you know, when Guy's not got his guitar, he was all over the place. Right. So um, it was it was fun watching a few videos of him doing his kind of you know his moves. Yeah. Well, do you think you're ready for ratings? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Yeah. So uh, of course, every episode, I ask my guests, you know, if you could. Uh, picture the Fugazi catalog in its entirety as uh, the spectrum we're working with from one star to five stars. Where does Turn Off Your Guns end up for you? Ratings. Like, I, I, one of you guessed, it was the guy who's the uh, the sports writer for the for the Telegraph. He, he said, oh, come on, people. So what's these? What's this with all these guests that don't that are cowards and and <laughs> shy away from giving rate i'm afraid I've, I've got to put myself in the category of like I, i've got a a weird feeling with ratings it's like i don't know for just when you when you put yourself in fagazi sort of zone um i don't know like i've read a few kind of accounts of the relationships that songwriters have with their songs and there's a, I've just got a little quote from Dolly Parton here she, she said um, my songs are like my children I expect them to support me when I'm old which I kind of liked <laughs> um, and but but a lot of songwriters have said like you put them out that you you put songs out into the world and they're kind of like your children in the way like you you have your own kind of ideas and hopes and expectations for these songs but they probably end up going on a totally different trajectory different route than than you expected and um i don't know and and, and if you think if you're thinking about songs in terms of your children as a person then to put a number on that you know like to to use the repeater thing you've got a name not a number and i, I don't know I, I was just listening back to uh clayson and Janida from the Smallpox Champion episode, and just the way they kind of qualified the the judgment 
as- aspect of, of putting a number on something, you know, like on a scale, like the value system, you, you know, you, you when you sort of philosophically break it down, it's kind of like the chatting around that the, the, your podcast is so good at, which is like breaking down and going nerdy geeky on <laughs> all the all the details of every this is that is brilliant and that and all the emotion and the responses that are wrapped up i think i feel like for me that's that's the important bit and and the, and the number is like it would make me uncomfortable to to rate a person and in in terms of a numerical assignment so that's the that's the tack i'm taking and and if i'm a coward i'm a coward but hey uh well i'm not saying you're a coward uh you have every (laughs) right to refuse the gauntlet that i have thrown down but not me I'm, i'm gonna go ahead and say and this will be no surprise to people who listened to the last episode uh where i said i i feel like the songs that fugazi recorded and then decided not to put on an album I think they almost always made the, the correct decision. Uh, they seem to have their heads uh, screwed on pretty tight as far as knowing really what their strengths were and uh, what songs turned out best. Uh, I don't think this is one of those. Uh, although the subject is near and dear to my heart, I really I do have to put this down uh, at the bottom with a one-star rating. I'm not crazy about the sort of like pseudo-funky riff the lyrics are, I don't know, it's, it's questionable how effective they are. Um, I, I think maybe more nuance could have been brought to bear for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, it's, it's sort of mainly the music. I, I sort of, I'm not that into it. And I think it's, it's got that feel of very early Fugazi before they really got their footing and uh, knew which direction to take things. So uh, one star for me. Why don't we go to the people on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page? Okay. Uh, I had to I had to give them a little bit of a prompt. I think a lot of people had never actually listened to this song, uh, and until then, so yeah, it's it's. I guess it's one of the you know with it being on the demo thing. You know, I had to like, look it up to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm I, you know I've enjoyed I've really enjoyed like doing all you know listening to the gigs and and uh, you know uh, I've. I've downloaded a few of the uh you know i've, I've bought a few from the live series as well so it's been it's been a good week for me i've, I've enjoyed <laughs> it's, it's just because I, I i don't know i was a little bit kind of critiquey of the you know the tone thing but i think it's important to be you know i i, I, I can't just you can't just gloss over how you feel can you <laughs> you have to sort of say what you, you, you yeah feel. just speaking anyway. my truth uh trying to apply yeah. some uh rigorous criticism to a band that deserves it damn it if they yeah. were a, if they were a worse band you know a one-star song wouldn't even be worth talking about but every fugazi <laughs> song is worth talking about that's the Definitely. idea um yeah so anyway on facebook simon young says first time i've consciously listened to it i've played the first demo cd a few times but this never stood out thank you for the prompt pretty enjoyable the instrumental intro from when the bass comes in sounds like it should be the opening credits to a screwball coming of age sitcom this is a good thing. <laughs> Chris Sanders says, this song and In Defense of Humans are both underrated Fugazi songs, in my opinion. Rob Reginio says, I've always loved that little bass hook after the initial guitar intro, uh, and I've always thought this sounded a bit more embrace than Fugazi. Not a problem, though, as I adore both. I like the song, but it's definitely not a go-to. Uh, James Vitito says... Okay. 
It's one of the lost Fugazi songs that forever was only found on a few bootlegs. The lyrics and vocal melody are very similar to Embrace, but musically it features the stop-starts the Fugazi uh, became known for. Mm. It sounds similar to KYEO or the second half of Epic Problem, a rocking, groovy song with a lot of punch, but it feels weak compared to the other songs in the Fugazi catalog, even compared to the other early lost songs like In Defense of Humans or The Word. Bradford Goodwin says, if Shut the Door is Ian singing about self-injury from the perspective of an addict, then maybe this song represents the other side of the coin, the impact of a suicide, overdose, or self-harming behavior on the friends and loved ones who are left behind or struggling to understand. Musically, it's fun, catchy, even danceable. I dare say there's even some slappy bass. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I don't think Joe is actually doing any slapping. It's just that very, very bright, rattly, metallic, sound that i'm not crazy about yeah um uh sort of does make it sound like that jared coffin says also says uh it reminds me of kyeo the the beats per minute are very close this was something i hadn't heard before the internet i didn't have state of the union so in defense of humans was the same i think it's probably a pretty self-explanatory song about how people especially punks at the time were cutters and suicidal this was a way to let them know it didn't have to be that way Oheim Unke says, a little funky, early Fugazi, rocky, like the word, lyrically simple, could also be embrace lyrics, maybe. Um, yeah, this, this is a pretty common thread in these comments. Uh, definitely could be something that maybe Ian wrote earlier when he was in Embrace. Uh, and finally, Thomas Harding says, I agree, the lyrics seem like embrace or egg hunt leftovers, and the vocal delivery is much more evocative of those groups. I would love to have heard a more fully realized version of these early songs. In the live recording from uh, 9387, the first show, you can hear Ian kind of stretching out his singing voice a bit more on the first verse. Gonna reiterate that these early demo tracks make me want to listen to Fuel. So there we go. Uh, thanks for commenting, everyone. Uh, good to have your thoughts on this one. So that really brings us to the end of the show and to plugs. So, um, Chris Bonner, any. Anything interesting you want to point our listeners to that they can find on the internet? Like, if if, if anyone's interested in in the Blind Boy podcast, the the, the one that deals with person centered counselling is called On Becoming a Person. He's got quite a few out there on on most of the the platforms, um, and that's a really you know just yeah kind of therapeutic podcast. I found um, yeah Blind Boy. He's from Limerick in Ireland. And uh, yeah, and if if you're ever in Leeds, come on the water taxi. It's uh, it's it's only one English pound to to see Leeds town centre from the water. Um, that's yeah, it's like like a little ten minute journey from the train station <laughs> to to Leeds Dock. So you know. Well, thanks again for joining me, Chris. If you have any links at all you want me to uh, send over, I'll be happy to put those in the show notes. Hope you'll join me right up to the end, which is, you know, coming on uh, pretty close. So listeners, uh, make sure if you have any commentary, any uh, things you want to point out to me, any questions, you can reach me at FugaziA2Z at gmail.com with those. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing turnover. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last